Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello and welcome to the Power Hour, the Heritage Foundation's Center for Energy, Climate and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Travis Fisher and Rachel Wilfong. As always, I want to ask for folks to reach out. Tell us what you like about the podcast, what you don't like. Tell us what you want to hear us talk about and who you want us to talk to. Now, the best way to give us your thoughts is through email and you know whose favorite part of the show this is. Travis, tell us how to reach us on the email. No, I forgot. He, he left for a week, so yeah. it slipped his oh, mind. That's right. No, the Reintroducing Travis? The Power Hour at heritage.org. The Power Hour. I still got it. The Power Hour at heritage.org. Thank you, Travis. And I promise, I promise, promise, promise to each of you, I will respond to every email we get. I've done it so far. And I will do it in the future. So please write it down, Travis, one more time. The Power Hour at Heritage.org. Very good, very good. Now, a little update on our naming exercise we talked about a few episodes ago. We've got some outstanding ideas. We got the Sentinels, someone reached out to us, the Electricons, the Three Stooges. No, sorry, not the Three Stooges. I think that one's been taken. Uh, and the Power Pack. So keep them coming. We love all the ideas. We will pick something in the next few weeks, um, but not uh, you who sent the Three Stooges. We're not doing that one. Now, Rachel, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jack. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I, uh, I'm excited to, to talk about this subject we're going to talk about today, which I'm not going to reveal quite yet, but it's going to be a little bit different. What's going on in your neck of the woods in energy and environment? Honestly, too much. We got another... Too much is what they say when people aren't doing anything, <laughs> and they want to give the impression that they're busy. Um, well, that's not the case for me. It's truly the, too the much. The George Costanza, <laughs> or she's just like running around the office with paperwork. Oh, so busy. There's so much paperwork. <laughs> I know about that. Trust me. Again, too close to home. Um, well, no, in all seriousness, there is uh, yet another DOE energy efficiency proposed reg that has come out, so... Got my hands full with that. All right. There's ne a never-ending waterfall of regulations coming from our Department of Energy. You'd almost think we were too dumb as people to know how to pick appliances and to save energy and to pursue the things in the marketplace we want. Luckily, we have Big Brother sitting down there at Lafayette Square telling <laughs> us what to do. That's right. Thank you, DOE. I misspoke. They're not at Lafayette Square. They're at L'Enfant Plaza That's for all right. of you watching. I was, I was wondering where you're going with that. It's like, there's a bunch of homeless people in Lafayette Plaza. <laughs> well, let's put that aside. Now, Travis, you're also here. What yep. do you have cooking? Anything for you? Oh, you know, so much. Just mostly papers, a lot of papers. Paperwork. Paper. Mm. Shuffling papers. Shuffling papers. You, you sound busier a, than me. <laughs> you have stuff going on. I do. G give I us just a think. taste. Give us one subject area that you're working on. Well, I'm going to be point person on our comments on the EPA tailpipe rule, which is basically the EV mandate. So there's that. that. That's going to be a big one. Good subject for a future power hour, maybe? Could be. Could be, could be. Now, we've been doing this for a few months now. 
We have, what, maybe eight episodes, and we've covered a lot of issues. We've talked about electricity policy multiple times, renewables, nuclear energy again multiple times. I think you can see where our, um, where our expertise lies. Um, we talked about gas and oil, a whole bunch of stuff. Now, though I could cover nuclear energy every week, I suspect folks would get tired of hearing about it eventually. So today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Now, I know the last podcast, or maybe the one before that, we also did something a little bit different, but this one's even more different because that one where we've talked about trade ultimately did focus on energy. Now, what we're going to talk about today, you might think has nothing to do with energy or maybe energy adjacent at best if you really think hard about it. And on its face, I might agree, but stick with us here. I promise we will bring this back around to energy and environment policy. What's the setup? Well, you know, we, we got to know what, what is it is. It? I'm dying to know what it is. The issue today is cryptocurrency. Sorry about the pause. <laughs> Sorry, it was, was going to say it was for the drama. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about cryptocurrency. No, we're not switching formats on you. We're not all of a sudden a monetary policy or some techno nerd podcast. So how is this discussion on crypto going to fit into the power hour? Well, thanks to Joe Biden, who wants to use the cover of energy and environmental policy to justify his agenda to consolidate power in Washington, Crypto policy and energy policy have now collided. You see, on May 2nd, the White House issued a memo titled The Dame Tax. Is that the way you say it? The Dame? If it was me, I would call it the Dame. Sounds more Let's, let's call it Dame. <laughs> How dumb. <laughs> Whatever. The Dame Tax. If only we had El Jefe for this episode, we could right. call it Dame. Right. Uh, making crypto miners pay the cost they impose on the rest of us. Now... My first question is, does the White House know that crypto mining is not actual mining? I know that they've been working hard to outlaw mining to make sure that we remain dependent on China as they pursue their EV and green mandates, that they ensure that we remain dependent on Russia for our nuclear uranium. Like, do you think they know that crypto mining is not actual That would be convenient. That, that would just be a matter of rebranding. Just call it renewable currency, and they're like... <laughs> Okay, we like it now. I suspect, <laughs> the sad part is, I honestly don't know if they know that um, crypto mining is not mining. But anyway, we're going to talk about crypto today, but here's the problem. I don't know anything about crypto. Travis, do you know anything about crypto? I know enough to know that I know very little. I got the intro. I actually know a little bit about the power side of this, so we do want to get into okay. that. Okay, all right. So I know nothing. Travis knows a little. Rachel, how about you? How much do you know about crypto? I think I watched a Netflix documentary about it once, but that's about as far so as you, it goes. So you know as much as most people then. Yeah, pretty much. Most of us are educated I, by virtue of Netflix documentaries. The other true. thing I know that I can't say on this show is that there's Bitcoin and then there's all the other categories of coin rhymes with Bitcoin, um, but basically they are uh, yeah. not good. Not good. Well, not good. Well, let's not judge that quite yet. Well, I, I, don't, that, I don't know how to say that on, on this show. Poo coins. <laughs> okay. I guess I know where you're going now. Well, rhymes, rhymes with Bitcoin. Use your imagination. Okay. Luckily, 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 our listeners don't need to hear us 
not know about cryptocurrency because today we happen right here in this studio in our presence have a nationally recognized crypto expert we have nicholas anthony welcome to the power hour nick can i call you nick you can call me nick please do nick welcome to the power hour he is an expert at the cato institute center for monetary and financial alternatives is that right did i get that right that is correct it's a mouthful i know who's your boss over there uh you know you might have heard of this guy uh Norbert Michel. I'm, Norbert I'm still Michel. getting used to that last name. I, I thought it was Dr. Mitchell at first, but it, it's Norbert Michel. I thought it was Michel. Michael. That, that's what I said at first, and then he corrected me, and it, it was a whole thing for a while. Uh-huh. Norbert. Old Norbert. Norbert used to work here at the Heritage Foundation before he worked at the Cato Institute. So I just wanted to—we uh, couldn't not give him at least a skosh of a hard time. Now, maybe of interest to all of you, Nick has a ton of experience in writing and talking about all aspects of crypto. But of interest to me, Nick's from Baltimore. Is that right? You're from <laughs> mm -hmm. Baltimore? Are you born and bred Baltimore or do you just live in Baltimore? I am, but now I'm living down in Virginia. Put that to the side. Is Baltimore <laughs> your all-time favorite city in the world? Yes, hands down. It is mine. I also was born in Baltimore. And when people say, what's your favorite cities? I'm like, Baltimore 1, Prague 2, and then something else, 3. Ocean you, City. Ocean City. Is Ocean City, Maryland your favorite Yes. Okay, good. It's my favorite beach, I think. Going down the ocean is probably second to none, just because there's so much to do down there that you can't get anywhere else. How does, this seems like a, that line from Blazing Saddles, where uh, they, they ask, how does a sophisticated urbanite like you end up in a rural environment like this or something like that? How does a kid from Baltimore end up a crypto person? It's a it's a very happenstance sequence of events. I got very lucky. I went to Towson University where I was able to study under Howard Bacher Jr., who is just an absolute legend. If you can find videos of him online, if you can find his books, if you can find what he's written, I highly recommend it because this is somebody who is committed to not just economics as a field, but also teaching. So but beforehand, he was, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm sorry, Howie, if I'm getting this wrong, he was a football coach as well as an English teacher, and you can see it all carry through as a economics professor. And he was the first one to really challenge the, the status quo for me, to show me ideas about free banking and alternatives to the Federal Reserve and to be in school, and uh, this was... 2013-ish uh, uh, to be in school at that time when Bitcoin's coming up. Uh, it was very natural for him to point and say, we actually have something that's happening out here that's really interesting. And from there, I was kind of just hooked. Uh, it was a bit of a slow burn for a few years, but I uh, ended up going to George Mason and getting my master's and then getting to the Cato Institute and the, the rest is history. Now, you used the phrase, a term in there, that um, – now, let me take a step back. One of the things we like to do on this here podcast is we talk a lot about a lot of complex issues, energy grids and things like that. And so we always take some time to sort of lay a foundation so people can – so we know what we're talking about. We can better engage, and our listeners can have a better understanding as well. Now, I think on this issue, that might be more important than any of them because if there's one thing that's more complicated than – energy markets, 
Maybe it's crypto. I don't know actually that is. I actually think crypto is probably less complicated, but that's neither here nor there. Probably fewer people know how it works. But you used the term in there before we get to the what is crypto question, um, free banking. What is free banking? This is something that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, it's it's a lot like cryptocurrency in the sense that a lot of people don't know what's out there and what the options are. There was a significant portion of history throughout the world where banks were able to issue their own notes. They were essentially able to create, uh, rather than have a, a dollar bill from the uh, U.S. government, you could have a Bank of America bill and a Wells Fargo bill, and they were free to issue those to uh, support the market and to set up clearing for those in place of a central bank. And as time went on, we've kind of drifted from that. In the U.S., there was kind of a faux free We didn't banking. drift away from it. It's illegal. Uh, well, yeah, there is. There, in the U.S., they kind of got away from it when they started putting regulations on the banks saying what they could and couldn't do to make it uh, unstable. And right as it fell apart, they ushered in the Federal Reserve and said, we have our hero. We have our Superman. We've brought him from, from Krypton. We're going to put him in the Eccles building, and we're all saved. And that didn't really happen. Uh, we are not living in, in a utopia by any means. We're living in a nice place. We're very lucky in this country. But there's a lot to be desired, and the history of free banking shows us that there's a very real alternative to central banking. Now, Travis, you're an economist guy. Do you have views on free banking? Do you think, just from an economic standpoint, would our monetary system benefit from competition? I mean, sounds cool. I love free stuff. I think, uh, yeah, I, I do like the idea, and th this is where crypto, I think, is unique, because historically, those notes were backed by a commodity. So it was basically, you could always take it back to the bank and get gold instead of the bill if you wanted. Am I tracking on, at yeah. least in, in the right direction? So this crypto thing is fascinating because it's it's the it's the new currency that's built more purely on trust itself than a commodity. And I find that fascinating. So that's, that's about all I got to offer this conversation. I'll, well, I'll, but, I'll take or, a step back now. Or is it always? Let's talk about crypto. What, tell us what is cryptocurrency? Then we'll get into this question of different kinds. And we'll go from there. So I think the easiest way to think about it is cryptocurrency is really a digital way to transfer value, to store or transfer value that is secured through cryptography rather than governments and often rather than intermediaries like banks. When you boil it down, there's a lot of different uh, models. There's a lot of different uh, offerings that are out there, but that's Really, all it is is a digital you, way to securely transfer value. What do you mean by cryptography? So the shortest, the shortest version is that most, not all, cryptocurrencies are essentially protected by having some form of cryptography where software coding is involved to either restrict how much can exist, restrict the ways that it can be used or restrict the powers that the issuers have. And luckily, many of them are open source so we can see this code. And granted, that's not something everyone can just go up and read, 
But there's enough people out there that can go up and read it and look through the code and say, yes, this is secured through here. Uh, one of the most famous uh, code bases is the, the SHA-256, which the shortest version of that is just a way of, of rearranging and hashing values so that we can transfer information securely but not reveal the full story except for where it's needed. Now, we often hear the term blockchain when talking about cryptocurrency. What is that? So the blockchain is basically just, in most cases, is basically just a ledger. Um, what do you mean by, like, is there a dude somewhere taking notes? Not quite, uh, but a little close. There's a, there's a ledger that's online that's recording all the notes, and it's being shared throughout all the people participating in the system electronically. So who, puts, who inputs on the ledger, the blockchain? And that's what brings us to the miners. So these are people who are processing transactions, trying to set up the block. They want to fill it, this, this space, with as many transactions as they this can. This digital space. And once they get it filled up, they try to put it through. And we can get into how mining exactly works. But if they're successful, then it gets put on the chain. It's the next block in the row. And then it starts going out across the world so that people can validate it and say, yes, this is real. This is legitimate. This is what was supposed to happen, and let's carry on and move to the next one. Here's the problem. You're using simple words and simple concepts, <laughs> and I still have no idea what you're talking about. Rachel, do you have any idea what he's talking about? I have no idea. Travis, do you have any idea what he's talking about? I give myself a C- minus right now. <laughs> okay. Help me think about this. We're going to get into energy. Oh, my God. We're almost a half an hour into this thing. Is, is it, it so... Are there, are they, are, is it self-identified people? Like, I want to get into the business of, of mining, so-called, and I am engaging with the ledger. How do I get that job? Do I apply to the, the Japanese guy who invented this thing? Or, like, how do I get that job? Uh, in a phrase, you are free to choose. You are free to, to go out. You just have to buy the equipment. I'm, I'm sorry to say uh, for anyone that wants to get into it, 10 years ago, you could have done it on your laptop or just set up a, a Raspberry Pi and, and go to town. Now you need specialized computers <laughs> to be able to have it be economical. But you're free to choose. You're free to, to get the equipment, connect it to, plug it into the wall and connect it to the Internet, and you're off to the races. That's no. it. You said Raspberry Pi. What are you talking about? Um, so for uh, hobby coders or uh, hobby machinists, uh, this is a little uh, computer board that you can buy at any Circuit City or on Amazon or the like, and you can program it to essentially build your own computer. You can build just about anything with this little base. And People still use them to do mining today. It's not very economical. Uh, you need something that's more akin to a, a, a space shuttle of computers than a, um, a pocket calculator, but it, it still functions. Okay. So let's summarize real quick. Cryptocurrency is this type of exchange that is accounted for, is that the right word? Yeah. On a digital ledger that... People around the world are engaging with 
through some computerized digital process that both accounts for the transactions that are being done and somehow relates to the digital currency itself. Is that kind of what we're talking about? It's a mouthful, but it's what we're talking about. Okay. Got it. Now, real quickly, before we get into the energy piece of this, and I would argue the broader economic implications of the, of, of, of the president's memo, there are different types of cryptocurrencies. I don't want to go through all bajillion of them. Um, the one that I would like to talk about, though, is the one put out by the Wu-Tang Clan. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the one that I want to talk about. There are three that I want to talk about because I believe that they are largely indicative, not exclusively, but largely of three types. We have our favorite, not our favorite, everyone, you know, the most used one, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Bitcoin's value is gener generated by virtue of scarcity. Is that because they will only ever produce 21 million? Correct. That's, why, that's where the value comes in. As people use it more, there are few, the, the, they are smaller and smaller pieces of Bitcoin are used to engage in transactions. And it takes more and more effort to produce the, the, the further you go down the Bitcoin line, the more effort it takes to produce them. That creates scarcity and mm. bada bing, bada boom. That's Bitcoin. Then the next one that I think is interesting would probably be the second most one, Ether and Ethereum. That's different than Bitcoin. Ether and well, Ether on the Ethereum network they have a scarcity element, right? But they have an annual cap. And then they have this interesting element that part of their value is by virtue of the power used to generate, to, to engage in the transaction on the Ethereum network called gas. Are you smart enough to explain gas to us and how, not in a lot of detail, because none of us know about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Just so that we can like, people who are listening be like, all right, I kind of get the difference there. First, I just want to commend you because you distinguished <clears throat> between Ether or ETH and Ethereum. That's something that a lot of people kind of get twisted. But the easiest way to think about gas is kind of by virtue of the name, it's a fee that you're paying to power the system. It's a fee that you're paying to push your transactions through the system like putting the, the pedal to the metal because you want to get somewhere faster, you have the ability to pay more to get further up the line. And part of that is important is that between Bitcoin and ETH, you have these two fundamentally different systems as far as not just how they're operated when we were talking about the miners, but also just how they're operated in terms of power consumption because Bitcoin consumes a, a good bit of power because it wants to be decentralized and, and equalized in a way that everyone can have the same, um, the same value contributed. 
Whereas with the Ethereum network, you have a, a, a different setup where people can essentially buy their way in, in a sense. It's whoever holds the most can vote the most. And what's really nice that is overarching from all of this is that we have both these systems and we can choose both of these systems. Whatever makes you happiest, what seems the best to you, you're free to choose instead of being locked in with just one. Now, Ethereum, uh, I want to talk about another offshoot of the Ethereum discussion because I think this ties back to where we're ultimately going to go with the Biden memo, which is the smart contract capability within Ethereum provides people with alternative financial services that are very affordable, broadly dispersed, that they would not all otherwise have. They are, the, the potential of Ethereum is a financial equalizer that will change the world. It could um, remake the balance of power in the financial sector. And it, I find it extraordinarily, not hard to believe, because it's precisely what they do with the rest of their energy policy. It's regressive. It's anti the people that they specifically say they are trying to help. And it will keep them subject to the same centralized institutions that they are subject to now. Am I wrong? I wish you were. You're not wrong. It's, it's such a mess. We see right now more people having access to things that they could never dream of 10 years ago, 20 years ago. More people than ever have options to financial alternatives, whether it be just making payments or making loans or investing or otherwise. And across the board, the reaction from the government has largely been, well, we've been saying we wanted you to have that. But now that you can, we're, we're not so sure about this. Uh-uh. And it's, it's so hard to justify that, Be, especially when the proposals that are being put forth just do not make any sense, especially the, this uh, tax proposal that came out. It just It's so unfounded unless the only thing, like you said before, unless the only aim is really to solidify the the long-standing control over money and finance. Keeping and people sense. poor, keeping people out of markets. Real quick, we mentioned this term smart contract. We should mention what, how, what that is and how that works. Um, what, what is a smart contract? So just think about the normal contract that you might sign, and you might have some neutral third party that's going to step in to say, okay, I'm holding your money, and I'm going to make sure that you fulfill your commitment. That, that I come and do this podcast, and as you agreed beforehand, I'm getting paid $500,000 for every 10 minutes I'm here. So that'll stand true. Rachel, uh, we're getting ripped off. No, no. Uh, the, oh, that's a hypothetical. Okay, sorry. No, no. Those are jack dollars. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the only thing I would agree to. On my ledger, <laughs> yes. which I am the dude keeping track. <laughs> and so the way that this changes with smart contracts is everything's the same except 
rather than have a third party, we go down the street and get some escrow agent to, to be involved. Instead, we code it and say, once this podcast is published, look to make sure that Nick stayed here for the amount that he agreed to, make sure the podcast was published as you agreed to, payment goes forward. You don't have any intermediary except for the code itself. And this isn't perfect for really complicated contracts where there's... Um, but it could be as these things become more sophisticated. Yes, yes. I'll tell you who it's not perfect for is regulators and lawyers. That's who's not who it's not perfect for ever. Yes. Yes. They, they are the ones that you can... If, if you ever just look up like the legal side of Twitter, just look at some of the conversations about chat GBT and you'll see some of the people who are most concerned are most in trouble of of having a little competition on their hands. Mm -hmm. uh, again, not perfect, but I think we should be welcoming these these innovations, not chasing them off. Yeah. Um, one last one that I want to talk about because people may have heard about is stable coins. And how are stable coins different from the uh, from what we talked about? So I'm sure most people have seen at some some time or point uh, the price of Bitcoin going from from zero to the moon and back again to the and, moon. And they've heard how this is crazy and you shouldn't stay, you shouldn't be anywhere near it. Well, some people took that to heart and said, "Well, let's fix that." And they created what are called stable coins. And as the name suggests, they try to have a stable value. That's that's really the the pure mission of it. You can get into a lot of different forms. For instance, what do you want to be stable with? Some are some have their value pegged to a dollar. Some have it to a euro. Some have it to a, a, a certain amount of gold. Uh, there's even ones that are now trying to peg their value to the the inflation rate through the the consumer price index or the CPI. And it's really just about creating different different alternatives that have a stable value but still have some of the the innovation and promise that traditional cryptocurrencies have do they have reserve re requirements not in the sense of uh well it depends on what the state by state legislation is but a lot of them don't have reserve requirements but rather keep reserves and disclose what those reserves are to show that hey we are a we are a third party, which is unusual for cryptocurrencies, but we are a trusted third party in that we supply this. Now, how that trust is maintained is another story. Through competition, one might argue that the government doesn't need to step in. And if you're trying to present your your thing as a as worthy of being a foundation of economic exchange, then one way of doing so would to be would be to say, we got a vault full of gold mm -hmm. for this stuff. You can come look at it. Exactly. Or you could say, I got a vault full of gold. Trust me. And we'll see how competition works out. Yeah. And I think that is the way to do it because we get to that efficient amount that maybe you don't have to, maybe you don't have to hold 100% or maybe you need to hold 200% to win people over. We don't find out the answer to that until we're actually allowed to try it and actually I, allowed to see what happens. I know we know now. These dollars don't have a bunch, <laughs> they have some gold, I guess, but not directly attached to them. And here's what they do have attached to them. Trillions of dollars of debt um, and lots of other bad overall financial management. One of the arguments I've made, I believe, is that those who argue against cryptocurrencies because they fear what it will, that it will undermine the power of the dollar miss the entire point of competition. 
that the best thing we can do for the dollar is to subject it to competition because then these guys over on Capitol Hill who care more about maintaining power than anything else in order to maintain that power will have to engage in monetary policy and or and fiscal policy that better allows for a strong dollar such that they can maintain their power. So if you love the dollar, if you love America, I would propose you want to see some competition out there. I couldn't agree more. It's it's one of the best things that that has happened for the dollar and it's one of the best things that can happen for the dollar. And one of the other just one slight aside to that is the other benefit is not just actually having some incentive to compete. We now have thousands of cryptocurrencies out there that all differ in subtle ways and we're able to see what's happening to them. We're able to see what changes them slightly and what makes benefits or costs. And that's something that we can't just do on a whim with the dollar. We can't just reinvent the dollar on a, on a second's notice. Here we actually get the experimentation that's needed to see what is a worthwhile improvement. I, I think one easy one to see from, from the rise of cryptocurrencies is that Americans prefer to have financial privacy. And that's something that clearly needs to be improved with the dollar. And it, doing that will protect its status much more than, than cutting off the alternative. We've spent way too much time talking about crypto. We need to get to the issue at hand, which is this memo, which lays out a case for a 30% energy tax. Um, Nick, could you give us just a quick overview of, of what that means? And then I know both Travis, Rachel, and all three of us have lots of questions. We think that we think that there's a lot in that memo beyond just the stated purpose of it. So this, this digital asset mining energy tax, the the dame or dame tax, <laughs> uh, would put 30%, it would, it would tax miners uh, an amount equal to 30% of their electricity use because mining is such a electricity intensive process. And it's really unfortunate to see this move forward because we're seeing uh, mining benefit electrical grids across the country. We're seeing uh, jobs created out of this. And instead, the administration is saying, well, we really don't want you to do that. And we might not come out with a, a ban uh, officially, but we are going to make it pretty costly and try to discourage you from doing this. And I'll say this is really the third time they've done an unofficial ban on cryptocurrency mining. So they're they're really trying to pull out everything they have to stop this. So I've got an observation based on the structure of this. So it's 30% of the cost of the electricity they're using. So, all right, let's follow the incentive path here. A lot of crypto mining is happening where prices are zero and occasionally negative, sometimes persistently negative. Do you get a credit? Do you get a subsidy if you over time, you only use negative priced electricity. I don't know if the Biden team thought about this. I think they're probably all idiots and they didn't. But can we start a, a crypto mining company that specializes in using negative prices and getting the you know the tax credit here? That is the art of economics right there, is seeing those unintended consequences because I don't think they thought that through. This is so bizarre. I mean, that's part of 
that's part of the genius of crypto mining is that it can go just about anywhere. You can do it just about anywhere. You can go where there's pockets of very low, sometimes negative prices, very common in West Texas with all the wind out there and the not enough transmission. If you ask the wind people, if you ask me, we got plenty. Anyways, the whole negative price thing, I, I'm going to have to talk to these Biden folks. I don't think they thought this one through, Jack. It seems like they didn't. Yeah. Um, or it may be the case they did think it through. They don't care about the consequences because they're trying to achieve a larger economic objective. Yeah, these are just details that they don't worry about. Right. right. Which I know I'm always getting I'm always getting conspiratorial, but I don't think it's conspiracy when everything they do um, leads to them having more power and American citizens having less. Them having them and their cronies and special interests having more power and us having less. And I think it's really interesting the points that you made, because in this memo they say literally the exact opposite of what you said. They said, this doesn't contribute economically to these areas. This doesn't create jobs. This is a major strain on the grid. So one of my questions was, okay, yes, um, they're saying that this is a really energy intensive industry. I mean, is that really that unprecedented? Like, are, are there other industries that, that, use the same amount of electricity, same sort of power generation. Um, so can you talk a little bit kind of just to discredit those exact <laughs> claims that they're making in this? This is a little bit of the, the double-edged sword of having Bitcoin specifically be so public, is that data is widely available so we can figure out the, these electricity <laughs> usage rates. And when you compare that to something else, it becomes harder to imagine what microwaves use. But we do have kind of an idea of how it compares. I mean, one of the famous examples that people bring up all the time is Christmas tree lights. When people set up lights every year, just how much that consumes. And I think uh, refrigerators and air conditioners are up there as well. And so we're, we get to this point where the, a big problem that I have with this is it's not upset with the, the proposal is not taking issue really with electricity use that's creating pollution. It's taking issue with mining specifically. It's the administration picking what is a good use of energy, what is an acceptable use, what can you do to, to use electricity and what can't you do. And that's one of the weird things that I saw with this being a tax on the electricity use is that well, so you're not going to apply this to anyone else because other people do use electricity just the same. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a mess, to say the least. And I think that's something that everyone needs to ask themselves is what are the relative costs and then what are also the benefits? Because it's just patently false for them to say there are no benefits at all. There are no jobs created. We have warehouses in this country that are operating mines with employees monitoring them, and we have people who are benefiting from this process. You know, like so much of the rest of what this administration, I shouldn't, it is this administration, but the left in general is they have always operated from the framework of scarcity, and they put policies in place to ensure that the condition of scarcity of whatever it is persists 
because then they have the rationale to control and to distribute it. And that's precisely what they're doing here. You see it throughout. And that's why I argued from the beginning, that's where the crypto is coming into energy and environmental policy. They've created a condition, a, a perpetual condition of scarcity. Now they can say, as they do here, that we get to pick and choose how that scarce resource is used, and we will de determine for you what's good and what's not. And that should be that that should be infuriating for all of us, not only because of what it is, but also not only because they're picking and choosing for us, but they created the condition, like the the either um, lack of understanding of basic economics or the complete ignorance of the people who are attempting to run the economy, both are really bad. In this case, there's no recognition that increase in demand and the of any supply and demand, the subsequent price increases leads to additional investment in that thing and an expansion of the supply and a rebalancing of prices. And that they completely ignore that is unbelievable to me. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. And this is just one more example of it. Well, it's, it's not just unbelievable, it's gross, because you have examples of not just electricity being being built out and invested in where you have people moving out. But one thing that's really important to, to be clear is that these mining facilities can be anywhere. So they can be out on a, on a rural uh, oil field that really has no one around. But there's there's flares going up that's just being burnt off or methane fields where flares are just being burnt off. You can have rather than have all of that go into the air and be wasted. Not that there's anything wrong with that, if that's what makes <laughs> sense, just to be clear. You don't have to have that going up and not be used. You can have that actually be pulled right on the spot and be made use of. And that's a great thing to have. You can you can convert that right on the spot. I think one of the problems that a lot of people have that at least I've noticed in this conversation is recognizing that energy is very hard to, to get everywhere in that you have many cases where resources are stranded. We've kind of been spoiled by by batteries, like the batteries in our phone. We charge at home and now I'm, I'm 20 miles away from my house and I've carried that, that energy with me. But when we're talking about larger amounts of energy, we don't always have that luxury. And we have people with resources that are abundant but just stranded too far away. And this is something that can build directly on that, on the spot. It doesn't have to have... Um, it doesn't have to be in, a, in the center of a metropolitan area just to exist. And how people ignore that, well, how the broader public ignores that, I'm fine with because it's just something you don't think about. But how policymakers ignore that, I do not understand. Yeah. Travis, I got a question for you. Yeah. One of the big things they point to here are the, um, let me just read. This is from the, from the memo. Currently, crypto mining firms do not pay the full cost they impose on others in the form of local environmental pollution. You've worked in the electricity production business for a good long time. What it seems to me they are missing here is how environmental regulation even works. Like, if you are the one plugging into something, 
you are paying for what the government has determined is the pollution. Is that right? How does that work? How? Explain to me if this is wrong, how it's wrong, and how wrong is it? Oh well, yes, I think it's wrong, and let's 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 go through it. So the main thing here, I think, as a starting point, the crypto mining use of electricity is, I think, actually more beneficial to the grid than other types of consumption of electricity. Let's go ahead and start with that. The fact that this tax doesn't apply to other uses is just, that's just bald targeting of an industry that they don't like. But it Can is- Can I ask you why you conclude that? Why is crypto using electricity? You, you put a value on it. So it's incredibly flexible. The memo, I think, uses the wrong word. It says something like volatile consumption. There is <laughs> volatile production on the grid already. Crypto is actually an answer to that volatile supply. So you have highly variable supply from, say, wind and solar, especially in areas where there's a lot of solar. This is a, a very predictable daily pattern of very low real-time prices when solar is out there. So like noon in California, the price is going to be like zero or a dollar. So why not take full advantage of that abundant resource while it's abundant? There are a lot of uses, like let's say you're going to run your AC at home. You're going to want to run the AC even as the sun is setting. The beauty of crypto mining is that it's so variable that, you know, if you encounter high prices, the the way that prices encourage crypto consumption to change is you just avoid those peaks and you do your production, you do your mining while prices are low. So it actually has a nice, it's one of the most variable and sort of price responsive loads out there. And sort of price responsive load is like part of the green dream. So that's why I don't I don't seems really, very elegant actually. Yes. Yes. Which is the whole argument behind like why we should even have real time prices and electricity and things like that. I mean it gets the pretty fundamental stuff. The crypto folks are just taking advantage of a situation that was presented to them largely by the environmental left. So this whole thing I think here's my take. Here's my here's my dark web take. I actually think this is frustrating the central planners. They really wanted that scarcity issue. They wanted like, we're going to do wind, solar, and batteries, and that's all you get, and sort of do your best with it. And then people started figuring out ways to actually take advantage of even that. And then this whole idea that we need to close existing power plants, like coal and nuke and things like that. If there's new load, if there's new demand on the system, it really frustrates that central planning idea of let's just keep ratcheting down and down and down. Now there's a growth industry. And notice the other growth industry, which is data centers writ large, those are conspicuously left out of the conversation. Their load is actually, they are more of a 24-7 shape. They need to be up and running all the time. So their load is actually imposing more costs on the rest of the grid than crypto load. Why is crypto being targeted? Well, it's not Google it's not Facebook, it's not Apple, Amazon. All of those companies have, you know, the, the more robust and left-leaning PR paradigms. So they, you know, the, the, the crypto bros are just kind of on the wrong end of this one in terms of the politics of it. But in terms of the impact on the grid, it's so much more beneficial than just even a data center. That makes sense. Thank you. That is very That, that explains, I think... Um, how all this fits together. 
And it, it explains where the crypto mining goes. So you go where it's sort of the cheapest overall. So you go to like hydro in the Northwest is a good example, or you go where the prices are volatile and occasionally negative. That's ERCOT, that's Texas. Mm -hmm. So especially in West Texas. So I, I've, I've talked to folks who are like, yeah, that's where I live now. I just moved out to West Texas. Mm -hmm. So the idea that people aren't bringing local benefits either, like that doesn't even, that doesn't pass a smell test because I'm like, well, these I, I personally know people who are moving out there. You can't just move out there without bringing some economy with you. And you know? I lived in Texas and there's really nothing in West Texas. <laughs> I, I mean, but it's true. It's like, for them to sit there and say it has no social or economic value, it's the epitome of big government paternalism what it's and getting, arrogance. It's getting weird because then you get into like, well, there's good electricity consumption and then there's bad electricity consumption. But what makes this bad? I think it gets the, the broader point that you were making about control. I mean, when you think about uh, can you cut off the sort of the bank accounts of people you don't like? You saw protests in Canada. That was the response was, well, we don't like these protesters. We want them to go away. They're clogging the streets for probably legitimate reasons. I don't want to get into that protest. But the idea that government can crush a protest by freezing their bank accounts, that it's is crazy. insane. That should scare everybody. And the fact that this is basically a, a way around all of that. That, I think, not just frustrating the central planners on the energy front, but this removes one of their giant sticks. Yeah. Like, we can freeze your accounts if we well, want. It, it's the, I would argue that monetary policy is the biggest stick the government has over the economy and one that's often not recognized. We often talk in terms of the United States being a free market economy, and surely it is to a large extent, but certainly not to the extent that I think most people believe it is. And the place where the government has most control is over the supply of money, where right now um, it, ha it, it, it has, I believe it's the case, they have a legal monopoly over the control of money, though that's being more tenuous as these issues work themselves out. Now, Rachel, I have a question for you. I think Hit me. you will have something, you have some insight onto this. Now, one of the issues that they uh, bring up, I'll just read again from the thing. All of the potential for crypto mining to relocate abroad, such as areas with dirtier production, is a concern. Other countries are also increasingly moving to restrict crypto mining assets. China just banned such activity completely in, 21, in 2021, as have eight other countries. I find it amusing that um, our government... Is using it, China as the, yeah. the, the uh, example to... Yeah. Use, yeah. Um, and those eight other countries. There's, they, sure, they must be bastions of freedom and democracy, right? Well, <laughs> according to the Index of Economic Freedom, um, let's see, I think it's eight of, of, of the nine, including China, are considered either mostly unfree economies or repressed. One of them is unranked because I think we should do the we should name and shame right now. Which I country mean, which countries are here. which countries are we talking about? Okay, we got we got Egypt, which okay. is So Oof. Biden wants to be like Egypt? Yeah. Um Iraq. <laughs> Biden's which, is, a big, which is the one that's unranked. Big Iraq guy that Biden. Qatar. Which is the highest in in all of these ranking wise? So um, from now on, they'll probably be like, "Hey, the Qataris do it, so yeah, we should do it." Uh, Morocco, China, Algeria, Tunisia, Bangladesh, and Oman. Thank you, President Biden, for making <laughs> us making those countries that list 
of countries, the standard by which we should promulgate our cryptocurrency policy. You're a real leader, Mr. Biden. You're a real leader. Well, they so they included that as a hyperlink, and they were kind of hoping you wouldn't click on it and see which ones they were talking about. Eight other countries. Don't worry about which other eight. This is a popular thing to be doing. Well, did, did you happen to click on it? I didn't click on it. Rachel clicked, clicked on it, on and it. she she was able to get behind the paywall. She's very oh. clever. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, apparently it's behind a paywall too. So uh, <laughs> nothing to see here, no, folks. Yeah, just trust us. We sit with. There's a link. <laughs> so That's ridiculous. all you need. We, now we can ban it. So ridiculous. God love them. Oh, not ban it. Just tax it out of existence. Sorry. There you go. I got yeah. my I got my policies mixed up. Just just like China. Oh man. So um, look, the point here is that. What the Biden administration is doing with this policy is the same thing they're doing with so many. I mean, they truly are taking forward a all-of-government approach to what they call uh, global warming or climate change policy. But things like this make it so clear it's more than that. It's not just about climate change. And that's where I think why the power hour is justified in talking about cryptocurrency because they are certainly using the framework of um, of energy and environment to advance this agenda. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's really part and parcel to so much of the other things we've talked about. Um, well, I, I think one, one angle here is that they expect us to not know how the grid works. They're sort of banking on the ignorance of the American people when it comes to power grid. They just make a lot of, as I've said, just categorically wrong statements like, you know, the crypto mining is bad for the grid. Like, uh, oof. I doubt I doubt anybody that knows what they're talking about is going to agree with that. But uh, I, I mean, I think that's that's just part of the. It, it it it's like their their mo. They just say wrong things, but they just bank on you like. I really cannot watch Karine Jean-Pierre anymore, but I feel like that's part of it too, where she just like rambles off a bunch of nonsense and then, you know, you're the bad guy for challenging it. Like, uh, so it's the same here. There, a lot of this is just factually incorrect, but I guess I would be the bad guy if I pointed that out. Well, there, there is one last thing that I will point out before we close up. We're, we're edging up on our hour now. Um, Again, you know, I just highlighted a handful of things from this this report, and this one I found perhaps more offensive than in any of the others. And we sort of tiptoed around this a little bit, but I wanted to put it squarely on the table, get everyone's take on it, and then uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll say goodbye. Let me read again from the memo. Pollution from electricity generation falls disproportionately on low-income neighborhoods and communities of color. Once again playing some of the most offensive cards you can in public policy space, um, putting that to the side for, we'll put that to the side. We will state that as something that I think we all agree with. Um, but it could not be more wrong. It could not be more wrong. It is precisely those communities who are unbanked. It is precisely those communities who, when they increase their energy costs are impacted more. Biden and Hunter, as we see on TV, riding in their airplanes all over the place, can afford to pay the carbon tax. Their power will not be diminished by not having access 
to establishment financial services. These, the people that they are claiming to be protecting, are precisely the ones that will be hurt. And it should offend everybody. Um, that's what we're dealing with here. And that's why it needs to be stopped. Because these technologies will bring, will, will democratize financial services like nothing has ever happened. And it will break control. You know, people who, who get irritated by Wall Street, look, I'm not an anti-Wall Street guy, but I'm certainly an anti-consolidation of power guy. And there's no question but that policy and politics don't protect Wall Street. This break, this helps to break that, not overnight, but over time. I don't know. That's my thought. So it, it's my job to uh, make it hard for Jack to wrap the show because I always have threads <laughs> that I want to pull on. I do want to pull on one thread to build on what Jack was saying. Inflation has got to be the most cruel and regressive tax that you can impose on a, yes. an entire country, which is what we're going through. We're living through it right now. I think we all feel it. For this memo to come out and say, oh, well, you can't do this. You can't do this crypto mining because it's going to fall. The pollution from electricity generation falls disproportionately on low-income neighborhoods and communities of color. So does inflation. They are missing the point like it's their job to miss the point. And I'm just curious about that, that issue of having an alternative currency is the antidote to these sort of just poverty traps of inflation and credit problems and like all of all of the stuff that is the absolute worst for the people that the Biden team claims to care about. Inflation is the actual worst, and this is the answer to it, and they're trying to crush it. Am I losing my mind? No, not at all. And that's what is so bad about this. You said earlier, Jack, that you were worried that it was a conspiratorial take. And when we see this happening again and again, when we see these these naked fronts put on the table, when we see cards pulled out that are just blatantly offensive, it's really hard to justify any of it as being anything other than this this plan to, to solidify their control over the larger larger system, uh, both with respect to to energy and money and finance. And I don't think that there's really anything else to it. I think that's exactly what they're aiming at, because to be able to say this at the same time that inflation is hurting so many people, to be able to say that you shouldn't have any other alternative I, I just I can't even imagine how how you would begin to to run the the circles to try to defend that. Okay, well, on that dour note, we're <laughs> going to finish up here. But when we when we end up on a you know not so happy note, I like to ask folks, give me your your inspirational take. What's your optimistic take on all of this? I think my optimistic take is that with the Biden administration and other governments reacting so negatively to cryptocurrencies writ large, I think that is a, a sort of confirmation that right now we're in a place of untold potential, untold benefits in terms of what can happen here and how transformative it can be. So it's pretty dark to, to see the barriers erect before us, but... I, I think the sun is very much shining on the other side. It's just whether or not we we run through the wall or jump over it. That's going to be the question for today. All right. I like that. Now, Rachel, i got to ask you, 
What do you get? You, I, I don't want to hear pessimism. Give me optimism. Optimism about crypto? About what we talked about here. Crypto and energy. You know, we, we covered a lot of space. I mean, it sounds any circumstance where you're creating competition and freeing up um, opportunities for people, I think, is is great. And I agree with Nick that just the the attempts to to um, kind of out this this entire industry is indicative of how liberating that it can be for people. Um, so the more choice, the less governments telling me that these are your options, um, the better. And I think hopefully we're we have the potential to move in that direction. So I'm optimistic about it. Travis, you get the final word on optimism. I do have an optimistic take here. This memo is garbage. <laughs> the president's ideas are terrible, and we can and should ignore him. I mean, as far as I know, this has no realistic path towards being a you know a binding policy on the American people. This is just Biden showing us how much of an idiot he is, and so we can just ignore it, I think. I hope. If it, if it ever comes up as a real possibility, oh, man, I'm going to tee off on this thing. But I, it's just it's just a stupid memo. I, I, I think hopefully that's all it is. We'll, we'll see. I think that is an optimistic take because there hasn't been one moment where we've had to dial back and say, well, in this paragraph, there actually is a good point or this study does kind of make things more complicated. The fact that it's as clear as it is. I, I think that is a good thing in the end. It's a steaming pile of garbage, and if it ever rears its ugly head again, I am immediately calling all my data center friends, and I'm like, hey, guys, <laughs> how is your data consumption and electricity use any different from crypto mining? And if it's different, is it better or worse for the grid than crypto mining? And can we all talk about that, and can Biden explain how much he hates Google? You should mm -hmm. ask him about the electric cars, too. Oh, yeah. Because I imagine, you know... Wait, they, they, they won't do anything to the grid or... Do they use electricity? Um, that's what I hear. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Oh, no. Do they oh, use... Oh, and, and everyone's going to have one, apparently. No, but those too. are... That's good electricity. This is oh. bad electricity. This is... Uh, I always get those mixed up. And the test is whether it aligns with the central planners or not. So I think, I think EVs are more in line with the central plan. Wouldn't it be great if someone would ask the, uh, the communications... What's her name? You mentioned her name. In the White House communications. Corrine Jean-Pierre. Corrine Jean-Pierre. If she could it just explain to folks, because it's hard for me to understand how the crypto mining thing impacts the grid differently than EV, the EV mandate. Do, it, do we just, have a direct line to Peter Ducey? <laughs> Seriously. I really, want, I really want somebody to ask that question, because I doubt she has it in her notebook, and she's oh. going to do a terrible job of it. <laughs> be the most hilarious of, of all the hilarious answers she's given, that would be the most hilarious. And that has us laughing, so that's going to be our last moment of optimism. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who took some time out of your day to listen to the Power Hour. And please, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends, family, and colleagues to check us out. And if you didn't, as I always say, tell your enemies. Either way, just please tell someone. Travis, Rachel, and Nick, thank you all very much. So our last two points of business will be Travis telling us how to get in touch. Yeah, please send us an email, thepowerhour at heritage.org. We read them, we respond to them. It, it matters a lot to us that we get some outreach, and it's really nice. It's nice to hear from folks. Here, here. How do people find us, Rachel? 
You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Simply search The Power Hour Heritage, and then you'll be able to access our full episode library. There you go, folks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Nick. See y'all next time. 